Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. All right, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Detroit, catching up with somebody I've been wanting to catch up with a while. We've messaged, we've tried to do this a few times. He always seems to get busy on me. He's one of my favorite people from the PGA Tour that I've never taught a lesson to, which is probably why he's sane and doing well. And uh, he also is the only person who knows blazing saddles as well as I do, Mr. John Peterson. What's up, Pete? Well, Coach, we're sitting here in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, just trying to keep the kids out of the office. Trying to keep the screaming to a minimum. So uh, everything's, everything's good in my world, man. How's Detroit treating you? Well, I just got here. I landed, got to the hotel. Good news, I realized there's a casino within half a mile from my hotel, so I've got entertainment. So uh, everything's looking up here in Detroit, and I'm going to find some good chicken wings and a couple beers in a little bit. So so I'm, I'm looking up. you got a casino, cold beer, and chicken wings all at your arm's reach. You're in good shape. You know, I actually, when I saw that, I thought about moving here. <laughs> I mean, the casino's got to be crummy, though. Detroit, I, I can't imagine a Detroit casino being worth a day. I, I don't know. MGM property. I'm getting ready to go check it out. I'm, I'll let you know. I'm, oh, I'll I'm, be I'm looking for it. Be all right. So I actually, when I I thought about having you, know, we texted, we messaged a while back. But then I always think of you around U.S. Open time, you know, because the first time I'd really heard about you was, I, was at Olympic Club, right? That's right. Right, U.S. Open played great there. Kind of was your burst onto the scene. Does it bring back some good memories every time you, it comes around U.S. Open time? You know, my dad. We were sitting there after Sunday at the Open at, at Olympic. We're sitting there in the hotel room, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I, I'd local <laughs> and then sectional qualified, and then made the cut, and then and then finished top five. And you know, I was feeling pretty good. Answered a bunch of texts and stuff, and and my dad like hadn't said anything since we were done playing i was like something's wrong with dad I don't know. like dad what's up and he looks over at me and goes you just lost the u.s open <laughs> so so i don't really know how to feel about that week like i you know i personally i did great i i overachieved my wildest expectations but i think my dad's expectations were that i was going to win and if i look back i did watch it i watched it for the first time this year uh, a couple months ago and Watching it back, yeah, I, pro- I probably should have won. I three putted three times in the back nine, and, and still finished four. Two, I finished two back, so probably should have won. But yeah, no, it was a hell of a week. It got me status on the web tour, which I had no status at the time, and then got me into the Masters the next year, and I was off and running at that point. You led the Masters through a hole or two, didn't you? You're damn right I led the Masters. And that's, that's, <laughs> I know you, that's one of those posts that I will continue to do until I'm six feet underground. I led the <laughs> Masters for about 25 minutes while I was first off the tee on number one, made a par. Two guys I was playing with made bogey. Credit to me for leading the Masters. Yes. It didn't hold as long as you wanted, but still had the lead. The only thing I could think of walking off of number one green was 40 regular. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about golf. So you you had a good career. I mean, and it's not over, I don't believe. But uh, quit playing for a while. I always like to ask people when they quit playing, what made you decide to quit playing? And what have you learned about your game and you about golf in the time you've been off? Man, I was just so burnt out. You know, I, I, I can't – I don't like to leave home, for one. 
Mm-hmm. I'm very much a homebody. I always have been. Yeah. Even when I was in junior golf playing, you know, high school tournaments around Texas here, I didn't really like to fly anywhere. If anything, you know, we got in the truck and we'd drive to Waco or, or Lubbock, you know, keep it three or four hours away. You know, or you know, long way was Baton Rouge. My, my grandparents were in Baton Rouge. We'd go seven hours. That was about as far as we ever went. And then we went to I went to LSU, and, and obviously we traveled across the country, but we still didn't play 30 weeks a year. You know, we were playing four events every semester, you know, probably 12 tournaments for the whole year. And that was my – I love that. Like, you know, you, you knew what was next. You knew the course. You, you knew how to get ready to play one course for this month. And uh, and then you turn pro and you get slapped in the face. Like, here's a schedule. You have to play 30 of these things and uh, somehow figure out a way to, to make it fun and keep it interesting every week. It's impossible to keep it fresh out there. It was I agree. Uh, I think it's hard to keep it fun. I mean, I, when, especially when yeah. you're young and coming right out. Don't you? I mean, I think that's the hardest part is golf goes from being – you know, I've been forced to teach some young guys coming up, and and I mean, like it's. I think it's hard to take it from where it's fun in college to where it's not fun and it's a business. Yeah, the thing is, you didn't start playing as a kid for a job. You started playing because it was fun, mm-hmm. and the fun can never leave the game if you want to do it forever. And it left the game for me. It left the game for me probably in 2015 or 2016, and. And once the fun left the game, I didn't care if I missed the cut. I didn't care if I hit a bad shot. Like, I didn't care if I hit a good shot. Like, it didn't matter to me. All I wanted to do was drink beer, hang out, and not play golf. But golf was my job, so I had to figure out a way to somehow make a living doing it. But when the fun leaves the game, you're, you're toast. That's, that's the beginning of the end for you. Now, have you, are you having it, fun with It left me. The fun left me about six years ago. And then, you know, I, I, I wore out my medical start, Greenbrier, missed by a quarter of a FedEx cup point, keep my card <laughs> with Bubba Watson, Bubba made a 30-footer on 18. And to go from like 45th to 38 didn't even matter. And that kicked me out of fulfilling my medical category. But anyway, but I was I had already packed it in before then. You know, I, I didn't really give a damn from 15 to, to 18. And, and I think 18 was my last – Greenbrier was my last tour event. That was July of 18. Now, what, what you, do you love golf again? Are you going to try to do it more? Well, I still have five starts on a medical for the Corn Ferry Tour. I need to make 70 grand. I had wrist surgery two years ago to repair a couple torn ligaments. And then I got stem cells after that. It feels I'm fine now. I'm actually very strong. I've been working with Colby. Colby's been sending me uh, workouts like he always has, and I've actually been doing them. But I'm not necessarily doing them to get better at golf. I'm doing them to get you know stay in good shape, chase my kids around. But yeah, I do play. I tell you, I probably play twice a week, and I never hit balls. I, I won't hit balls for more than ten minutes anymore. But, yeah, I still play once or twice a week. I play every Sunday in this game at Shady Oaks. And, uh, you know, it's it's, big, it's becoming more fun for me because I get to drink 15 beers when I play golf now. I don't have to sit there, you know, and it's 105 degrees and practice and sweat through my sunscreen four times, you know, like I used yeah. to have to. So if, if the John Peterson of 2021 could go have a talk with the John Peterson that was coming out of after that started after the U.S. Open. What would you tell him? Don't change anything. Yeah, I changed way too much. 
you know, I didn't really change a ton until I had my full PGA Tour card. So that would have been fall of 13. Fall of 13, when I got my card for the first time, I just won the money list on the web tour, won all the important ball striking categories. Right. And then I started changing things. Here, here's, the, here's the guy who swept all of the important ball striking categories on the world's third best tour, goes to the PGA Tour, and all of a sudden thinks he needs to start hitting a 20-yard a 20 fade because he sees, well, I, who I saw, I saw Dustin Johnson hit fades. It's like, oh, he's the number one player in the world. I need to hit fades. I need to be like him. And that was the biggest problem I ever I had. I was immature. I was, you know, early 20s. Yeah, card got my card. And I started changing everything. I forgot what got me there. And that was my biggest problem. But you're not alone. I see that. I mean, well, we could do a whole podcast on the people that have done that, right? It's amazing how hard it is. And from my experience, like you tell every good young player coming up through college, like, hey, when you get to the door, don't change. Keep doing exactly what you do. Keep the people, and everybody's, oh, I won't. And almost every one of them struggles with it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, nowadays, these these kids, when I was coming out, that was only 10 years ago. I'm only, yep. so I came out 10 years ago, and they weren't throwing money at you. These equipment companies were not throwing multi-million dollar contracts at you back then. I mean, I signed with Titleist for $55,000, and I was the first team All-American at LSU. <laughs> so that same credential now Probably a couple million bucks from, from anybody. First team are now being sculpted with 55 grand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these kids, they're tempted to switch everything. The first week they're a pro to chase the money. That wasn't the case when I was coming out. But if someone, if someone had offered me $2 million in fall of 2011, I would have played with a croquet mallet and marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. But it would have been the wrong thing to do. It would have been the wrong thing to do. But anyway, that, that that was what I had a problem with. And you see it all the time. I mean, you've seen it for years. So, you know, it's it's very common. And you're right. People say they're not going to do it, and they do. So let me ask you this. So now that you, you're wiser, you know, you're older, you and I think perspective is one of our best learning experiences. Uh, you know, I really do. I think that I think as I get older, hopefully I've gotten a little wiser. You have perspective on things that have happened and look back on it. Like, so now it's if you start playing and you, you know, you've got those five starts and you go, do you think that gives you a better chance to be successful? The talent hasn't left you. I mean, I know that. I mean, you're one of the most talented people I've ever seen hit a golf ball. Like that perspective of on what not to change and just being John Peterson and doing what you do, you think that helps give you a, a pretty good chance at this when you decide to go do it? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's, it's the difference now and the difference, you know, six years ago in, in my mindset, it, it, it's almost back then I had to do it. Like I, it was, it was that it was all or nothing. I knew no other way to make a dollar. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a business mentality at all. I had a, you know, athlete first golf, golf, golf. That's it. You know, I've been able, I've been lucky, you know, I call it my seed money. I call, I call the PGA tour, my seed money. That was my seed money that funded my other ventures that have, grown even into more money since then. So I don't necessarily have to, I don't have to go out there and dominate. It's not, it's not going to be a requirement for me to go win the golf tournament to pay my bills. So I think when I do use these five starts, whenever that is, I've committed to every tournament this year and I still, I haven't been sniffing them. 
Um, <laughs> but whenever that is, there'll be little to no pressure on me at all. You know, it's, it's not going to kill me to miss all five cuts and say, see you later. I'm not ever going to not be a pro golfer. I'm not like, I went through that phase where I was like, oh, I'm going to get my average status back. That's never going to happen. I'll be a pro golfer forever, but it, it's not the end of the world if I fall on my face in those five stars. Yeah, I'm going to give it my damnedest because I'd regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't. So I'm going to give it my damnedest when I get in. But the mindset now is, you know, I'd love to play great. I'd love to win. If I don't, I've got a wife, super hot wife, three kids at home that uh, I love more than I like golf. So. The mindset's way different. The the perspective is almost opposite. So, yeah, I think it'll be a lot easier for me this time when I do get in the tournament. I think it's a powerful thing for a guy that's talented and when they have perspective and they get to the point where they realize that how they play in their golf doesn't define who they are as a person. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I used to, you know, right? I mean, I think every kid out of college, you know, that comes out, they kind of have an identity crisis and and they have to be a golfer and and that's it. And there's nothing else. It's just not, that's just not the case, but you don't see that when you're in your early twenties and mid twenties, you don't don't really think outside the box or, and everybody's wrong when they try to help you. (laughs) I think you're lucky that you figured it out when you did. Hell, I didn't figure, I mean, as a teacher, I went through the same thing. Every time guys would miss cuts and I'd get fired, I thought that meant like I sucked, you know? Right. And it, it, I mean, not on the same level because, like, I'm not out there playing. But it's like, then you realize, like, you know, I'm the same guy whether the guys I teach fire me or make a cut. And if I go home, my you know daughter still loves me and my family still loves me. It's, I, and I think that's a way better position to be. In. That's a powerful position right there, pal. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? and, and I'm there. You know, I'm there. I, I you know, I, we played a Monday qualifier. Smiley was actually there for the Nelson, like. Yeah, a month ago, and I did nine holes. They called a rain delay, and we're like, "What are we going to do for?" I was four over through nine, Tony. This place is an hour from my house. Like the hell with it. I'm gonna order some Miller Lights and go pay for that and see what happens. <laughs> so, I, so I choked down three Miller Lights and went and shot four under on the back, and uh, that wasn't even close. But it made the back nine more fun, and that's the thing. Like you know, it's it doesn't define me anymore. And, and the guys that I played with, I was playing with Charlie Holland and Brian Dwyer. These, these two guys have played mini tours forever, but they all grew up. We all grew up right around here. And it was, we joked, it was like a 2004 high school round. And uh, cause I hadn't played with them since. And they, you know, they were like, you see me drinking halfway through a Monday qualifier. They were a little caught off guard, but it's like, guys, look, it, it, I don't need to make it. It's not the end of the world if I don't. And, uh, no, yeah, no. It's, you, I don't condone drinking in a Monday qualifier. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is my my perspective has changed enough to where if I shoot 40 on the front, I'm not just going to go pack it in because I'm so pissed. You know, I'm just going to play the back and hang out. I remember seeing you on the back of the range, I think it was. I don't know. The range it was in Napa, and it was probably your last year out there. Okay. I think I was out there with Smiley and Lucas or whatever. But, like, you look so frustrated and pissed on the range. You know, mm-hmm. and then now I see the stuff you put on social media and all that thing. And I know you're not playing for a living, but like you look like when you do post stuff about golf that you're enjoying it. And I mean, I see the stuff you post like you haven't lost it. You had a different mindset, right? I'm not as fast. I mean, I, that's to be expected, but I can't get it up there and you know the high teens anymore. I, I top out at about 115 now, but it doesn't matter. 
Like, you know, I mean, Brendan Todd, Kevin Kisner, it doesn't matter. You can still play with a slower swing speed. How far are you hit it now off the tee? Man, I, I haven't – I sold my track, man, when I quit. Uh, <laughs> so, I I don't know. I, I, I rarely hit the center of the face. I play – you know, I hit 40, 40 full swings a week. I probably carry it like 280, maybe, something like that. Runs out plenty. He probably yeah. runs out on a regular tour golf course. You hit it close to three. Yeah, probably so. It's it's probably right around 300. Yeah. How's the medical on the corn ferry work? So you on a list, like your status, you'll get in some, or how does that work? So it, it's not like the PGA Tour where if you're on a major medical, you, you can still pick all your events and you'll get in and all that. This is I'm basically on a major medical on the Corn Ferry Tour, but since it's performance-based out there, everybody that's played, even if they've made $1, is in front of me. So, you know, since they merged last year and this year into one season, everybody that's made cut is in front of me. I mean, there's 180-something guys in front of me. Or yeah. Actually, it's more than that. There's probably 200 guys in front of me. So the closest I got was actually last week in Maine. I was six, I finished six out. So at this point, it's so late in this two-year marathon season that they're having that it's almost better for me to just wait and you know let everybody lose their card or, or graduate to the PGA Tour, and then hopefully I get in in January, or February. What about Q School? Does it give you any priority with going back to Q School? I'm not doing that. <laughs> I didn't think you would, but I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, I, I actually don't know. I, I don't know if it does. I know that I could have played that for me tour deal. Oh, really? I could have played that, but didn't I, interest you. Well, you know, I can. Yeah, I can make more money in four days at my own house than go to do that. So, you know, it's at this point, I, it's 32 years old. You know, it's not about records or you know cards or anything for me. It's bottom line at this point and making sure my family's covered. So I wasn't going to go out there and, and, and do that. So one of the cool things you're doing, you got a podcast for the people. We do. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little about that. How'd that start? Well, you know, uh, you're one of my heroes. So I figured if you're doing you're, it, uh, you're so full of it. I should probably do it too. So we started this podcast for the people. It was kind of, we were, we were getting banged up here in Fort Worth at a buddy of ours houses we just started talking and the back and forth was so good that our other buddies sitting there, he's like, dude, you also start a podcast. Y'all just hate agreeing on every, you don't agree on anything. It's going to be perfect. You sound good. And so we did, we, we recorded one like the next week and we didn't know what we were doing. It was just, we did it on zoom and made up a, a dumbass logo and, and fired it off on iTunes and Spotify. And I'll be damned if we weren't like top five golf podcasts trending after one week. So we've just kind of rolled with it. We've, we've kept going and uh, the people like it because it's, it's honest. You know, it's two guys that played the PGA Tour. There's no other golf podcast hosted by two former PGA Tour players, but we don't mince words. We don't have any bosses. We don't, we don't have to keep it PG rated. You know, we will tell stories that happen to us verbatim down to the last detail. You know, we, we don't have anyone censoring us. And the people love it. Like, they, they love this honest rendering of locker room stories from the PGA Tour. And so, you know, that's what we try to do. We try to keep it real. We don't really have a ton of guests. 
but we, you know, we, when we do, they're guys that fit that mold. Like, we, you know, we had Kevin Kisner and we had Harry Higgs. We have guys that relate to the every man that are on the right. And that's, that's what we're going to do. And, and we're going to keep doing it. There's plenty of guys that could call me, you know, and, and, and ask me if they could be on the pod on the PGA Tour right now. Be like, hell no, you don't fit our mold. You know? Right. We don't want you. But that's it. You know, we've, we've had a good time with it. And I'm, I'm glad people like it. It's interesting. It's like when I started doing this, it was because my radio show on XM got canceled and I didn't know what else I wanted to do with my time. And it's been overwhelming. Like the people, people love people that are authentic and real and they're just comfortable being themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a huge advantage for you too. I mean, you you can say whatever the hell you want on your podcast. You don't have to, you know, answer to your radio show boss or whatever. Oh yeah. And it's, to me, it's more fun because it's a creative outlet. Like, you know, you get to, and you talk to like, just like I thought about you and I messaged you, Hey, let's tape a podcast, right? Like you can't do that if you're doing a damn radio show. Mm-mm. No, you can't. No, you can't. You, know? and then you, you can, you can bring up whatever you want. Like, you know, you could ask me, like you, you brought up the back of the range in Napa. So pissed. I could probably tell you, like thinking about that in the back of my head, if it was my last year, probably was that Silver Oak Winery yep. the day yep. before. hundred percent it was. Had way too much Silver Oak. Did not want to go practice, but I was forced to, and, and there I was, pissed off. I, it was. It was on the back because I remember Smiley wanted to go back there and get some numbers off a quad or a track man or something. So we rode to the back. And, I mean, to be honest, I was ready to get out there and go drink Silver Oak myself. I was like, why are we doing this? And <laughs> you were back there, and you were more pissed than me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how my last couple of years went, Tony. I mean, it was it – was, uh, it was not fun for me out there. I, I didn't didn't want to be there. <laughs> what about so now when you go back and you we'll talk a little golf instruction. When you go now and you do hit some, I mean, I know you don't hit many, and I know you you, you just play a couple times a week, but you're good. So, like, what type of things have you gone back to? I'm guessing you during this downtime, you had to start thinking about like, hey, what did I think about? What the hell did I do when I was really good? I mean, did you kind of go back to some things you used to do or what What are those thoughts? Yeah, you bet. You bet. I mean, I, I've dug through old yardage books. I looked up old YouTube videos of, of when I was in college and how I swung it then. And just there is, there's a video. I know you, you know who Mike LeBov is, right? Out of Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He came down to his daughter, Lindy, used to play on our team at LSU. And so he'd come down every now and then. He was there two weeks before I went NCAAs my senior year. And he filmed this swing of me on the range and he put it on YouTube. It had like four views, you know, like no one's ever even seen it. No one cares. But I found it the other day and I've been watching it over and over again. And it's like, it's so nails. Like, I, I don't I don't know how I got the club there. I don't think my body would let me get it in such good position anymore. But I've been watching that and been trying to, you know, do some mirror work, get it there. But I don't hit a fade anymore. I won't, I won't even try to hit a fade with a club shorter than a six iron. You know, if I have a four iron, maybe I'll try to fade it just because it's easier to fade. But I don't even try. You know, I'm not going to try to fade a seven iron. I know I'm not, I'm not going to hit a good shot. Like, I just don't do things outside of what I can do anymore. And uh, I don't really, you know, yeah, I play once or twice a week, but I never really shoot anything over par ever. And when playing Shady Oaks, it's way harder now. If I miss putts, I don't expect I don't expect them to go in anymore like I did back then. So I got pissed when I miss. I don't get pissed when I miss anymore because I just know they're not going in. And, You'll probably uh, end up making more that way. 
<laughs> it's just, yeah, if they go in, it's a bonus at this point. So, no, man, I, I'm still all right. You know, I, I carry about a plus four still. <laughs> First time in my life I've had a handicap. You're just gearing up for some net events, aren't you? Look, I, I'm trying to, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick. That's kind of my mantra when I come back. So i got to invite you down to my Jingle Bell in Biloxi this year. It's perfect for you, right up your alley. You did. You did two or three years ago, and I couldn't make it. But you said it was like that day that we had at Carter. Oh, boy. Do you remember that deal? Oh, yeah. I for sure do. Yeah, you, me, and Smiley, and a couple other guys. Colby. It was Colby. Yeah, Kay Wayne was there. We drank about 100 beers. We met Shaq. Could barely get to his armpit, I think. That was a hell of a day. Is the Jingle Bell shootout kind of like that? Yeah, it's a two-person deal. We have a nice little Calcutta, and it's scramble first day, best ball to second. In Biloxi, it's a good time. Fish fry, it's right up your alley. Can you bring two pros, or is it one pro, yeah. one editor? Yeah, of course you can. So you could just have a team of two pros. I love it. Is there a championship flight and then like a amateur championship, flight? Championship, first, second, and third. And, uh, yeah, I mean, great. Yeah, that sounds like a hell of a We deal. handicap we everything have have off. Lean down there for that too. We handicap everything off the tour players that play. So, like, you know, last year, whatever Lucas had played with me, like we, you know, whatever the tour players were zero, and then we handicap based off of that. You know, so yeah, it's good. It's good fun. I'm gonna get you. You don't, you don't want your tour players giving seven back. That makes I hate no that. I anyone. think that's the. I think that's the dumbest rule of the whole handicap in the USGA. Yeah, I hate it, too. I hate it, too. You know, make a three, it can't be a four. <laughs> right. And, you know, you're getting punished for all of the work you've done your entire life. All of a sudden, we're going to make the playing field dead-ass even because someone else decided to practice less than you. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it, too. It's dumb. We ought to get yeah, you on the USGA advisory committee. Oh, God. They wouldn't even let me log into their website. I mean, it's it, – there's no chance. But I did love to hire Jason Gore. I thought Jason Gore is the perfect person for the USGA to have on their player development side. I thought I haven't been to as many of them as you, but I thought this year's U.S. Open was as good and fair a setup as I've ever seen them have in person. Yeah. Well, don't you hate all the woke golf media that was – that was calling Torrey Pines a terrible golf course for U.S. Open. I hate that. Torrey Pines, anybody can play it. Anybody in jean yep. shorts and a T-shirt can roll up there, sleep in their car, and tee off at 7 in the morning if they want. That's the kind of golf course that a U.S. Open needs to be at, approachable. Anybody can play it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's probably expensive, but for you know, you're going to save money. You're going to go play. Pebble Beach, Torrey Pines, Beth Page Black, they need to continue to have U.S. Opens at those courses because it is. It's the every man's major. And I'll tell you what, though, like, and I don't know if this is true, but my Uber driver out there told me that, like, I think if you're a California resident or something, you play for, like, 75 bucks or 80 bucks, which, I mean, I'm not saying that's no money, but, like, for that golf course, that's, I mean, it's amazing. That's a hell of a deal, yeah. Is the South, can you play the back tees on the South on normal play? Do I don't know. That's a great question. But that golf course is hard no matter when you play it. And I'll tell you what, Pete, like, I walked out there, and I didn't think it looked any more narrow or it played way firmer than it does in January, February, because obviously the, the weather. But other than that, it looked fairly pretty much set up exactly the same. And to me, that's a good golf course and a great golf course when you don't have to trick it up to make it hard enough for the best players in the world. Right. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a couple holes that should be bulldozed out there, but it's like number nine. Number nine is terrible. It's stupid. It's just long and straight. Like there's nothing to it. It's total blah hole. You know, they could make like a boring hole like that a little cooler. But for the most part, there, there's there is 16 damn good holes at Torrey Pine South. I wish they had more than they've only had two U.S. Opens all time, right? I mean, I'm, yeah, I think I'd so. Fill it up with a few more. I think LACC is going to be sick. I know it's super uber private, but in yeah. two years, LACC could be dirty. Okay, so I'm, last couple questions. I'm going to ask you: Where was your favorite tour golf course you played? Oh, um, you know, I never played good at Riviera. I never played good there. I actually got disqualified there because I was partying <laughs> all night long and missed my tee time the next morning. I never even made the cut at Rib, but I, that was that was one of my favorite ones. I, don't, I made zero dollars there. Let's see, my probably my second favorite. This is not going to be a popular opinion, actually, but TPC Louisiana was one of my favorite ones, just because I've been around it so many times. Yeah, I played it in college all the time, and they gave me a sponsor invite in thirteen. I finished eighth, so probably TPC Louisiana and Rib. Probably not a very common combination for people to. To say their no. favorite courses were, but uh, I love the food, and the vibe, and the LSU, and all the wild Cajuns get down there and for that tournament. It was a hell of a time. I think it's one of the, you know, now it's the team deal, but I think that event and the way people are around that event and with the city and it being in the quarter and people standing there, I think it to me, and of course I live two hours down the road in Mobile and go there all the time. Like, but I think it's, I think it's the culture of the whole deal is one of the most fun weeks of the year that I go to. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, they bring out all the best restaurants come out there. And you've got Zurich. You've got one of the world's biggest insurance agencies as a sponsor. The purse is huge. It feels that week feels a little more freer. You know, they've got they got char grilled oysters on the range. Like, it's just it's a cool ass event. That was one of the ones that I I probably missed the most is, is, uh, is Zurich. I just love that event and all the people around it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Now, favorite player you ever played with? the tour event like that was the most impressive or that i like being around like being around let's go being around and then we'll go play like being around that i wasn't that i never got to be like close friends with was will mckenzie like <laughs> willie mack <laughs> willie mack's amazing like look i'm giving you some obscure i've obviously i've played with way higher ranked players and stuff but willie mack is one of the best people in the world golf or none he lived in a van in montana for like three years like hunting bears. I don't know what he was doing. He lived in a van. Like he's just got some crazy stories. Will McKenzie was, was one of my favorite guys to play with. The most, the most impressive person you can, I don't know if your answer is the same as mine, but I think Tony Finau is the most impressive ball hitter I've ever seen. You know, that was my strength. My strength was ball hitting. So not a ton impressed me, but Tony Finau, I couldn't, couldn't hold a candle to his ball hitting. I mean, the, the sound was different. It looked like he was chipping it, and it was going 350. He's the most impressive player I've played with uh, up close, and I played with definitely higher ranks, more you know, more wins than him. I played with all the big guys, but I think Tony Fino, once he gets his feet under him, is going to have a couple majors at least. I agree, 100% agree with you on that, and I agree with how great a ball striker he is. Last last question for the podcast here. So you obviously played the game a long time. Best golf lesson you've ever been given. Oh, man. That's a good one now. God, I've never even thought about that, but I like it. So I used to take from Chuck Winstead, mm-hmm. and 
Chuck taught me, most people don't know this. We lived in Baton Rouge. My family did when I was growing up, like eight, nine, 10. We ended up moving from Baton Rouge back to Fort Worth because my parents didn't want any of us to go to LSU because it was too much of a party school. Uh, I'm the oldest of four and three of the four ended up going back to LSU. So anyway, I get to LSU and Chuck's the only swing coach that I've really had for 15 years. I mean, ever since, you know, I was seven in Baton Rouge all the way through college, I turned pro and I qualified for the U.S. Open at Olympics. <laughs> and yep. Chuck's still the only coach I've ever had. And I call him on the Wednesday, you know, before the tournament, the tournament starts the next day. And I'm like, coach, I know I've worked harder than I do. I'm dead ass broke. I need to, I need to play good here or this might be it. The only thing he told me, he said, just hit driver as much as possible. And I was like, that's, that's an interesting thing to say to somebody that's teeing it up in a U.S. Open for the first time because it's notorious for people not yeah. hitting driver. But dry, he knew what he knew and that I didn't know, but I was dumb enough to, to do exactly what he said all the time. He knew that driver was my weapon. Right. And it's the best club in the heard, If I heard it coming from him, I was going to do it, and I hit. I probably hit. I probably hit ten more drivers than Webb Simpson did that week, at least. And that was the only reason that I was up there. You know, I, I hit driver in the fairway where most guys, you know, were thirty, forty yards behind me with irons. But I, I just had a. That was my weapon, and that was that was the best golf lesson I've ever had. It was on the phone. It was ten minutes. He said, "Just hit. Just wear that driver out. I want you to hit it as much as possible. I don't care. You know, whoever you're playing with, pulling up." Two iron or three wood, whatever. You wear that driver out, and I did. And it was that was the only. You know, if I didn't play good that week, I, I may have never played golf professionally. And I was, I had like fifteen hundred bucks left, and that was it. So that was it. Yeah, Chuck before the Open. Awesome story. That's a great story. As a teacher, I love that. I think that's awesome. I really. Well, do. You know how it is. I mean, you, you yeah. got a guy. You, you've got your guys that are very. You know, everybody. It, is on the PJ tour because they're usually very good at least at one thing. And if they wear that thing out, whatever it is, putting, chipping, tee shots, you know, they're going to have a good week. So no question. Uh, that, that's what he told me. And that was, that was right. John, this has been awesome. Very fun for me and connecting. I wish we were going back to one of those LSU games. And that was, that was a good trip too. That time we all went to an LSU game. I barely remember that one. Yeah, you know, I tell you, it was good. good. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was good. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. You got a bunch of stuff going on. And best of luck to you with the podcast. It's fun as hell. And uh, hopefully, when you get in those five, one of those five stars, I'll see you out there. And get to hang on. All right, coach. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. 
we go into year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other, and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines Hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors, Strixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.